G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. I started off and suddenly I'm skiing on one ski. My right ski came off. So what you're supposed to do is probably just fall. And I didn't. I actually put my heel down. Then it shattered my right leg into pieces because I was traveling so fast. And then I fell for a kilometer and I went through the speed trap at 160 kilometers an hour. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Iona Rossellee has been a British international speed skier and an Irish endurance horse racer. She's also been a television personality, author and public speaker. But at one point in her life, she was burnt out, tired and exhausted. She discovered that sometimes having everything you ever dreamed of still can't fill the void. Today, Iona will share how she overcame this emptiness to now having a life filled with hope joy and purpose. Iona is chatting with Eric Scatterbo. Iona Rossley, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. And your life has been filled with so much adventure. Where should we start? Where were you born and raised? Um, I was actually born in Henley-on-Thames, which is just outside of London. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother's Irish and my father's Scottish. And then we moved to Wales. And then that's when, at the age of 11, I went to a convent school where all the, probably the drama started with sports. Okay, so what were your impressions of being in a religious type school? Both my parents were practicing Catholics, Mm -hmm. so we used to go to church every Sunday. We didn't have Sunday school or anything like that, so it it was just a routine thing we did. I didn't actually believe in anything. Mm. When I went to the convent school... Um, it was very strict. It was run by um, Ursuline nuns who were lovely, great education there. I went as a very shy 11-year-old on my own away from my sisters. My parents had just got divorced, so mm. I felt like I'd been abandoned. Um, and I couldn't understand that if there was a God that he'd even allow that to happen. Um, mm. I struggled with uh, the rituals and the traditions and going to Mass every morning, but my favorite trick was pretending to faint. So oh. I used to sit on the end of the pew and then slowly fall into the aisleway, uh, pretending to faint so I could actually get out of the church. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously not a, a sincere religious connection uh, at that point. No, not at all. I, I really struggled with everything then. I was also really shy when I went there. Hmm. And then I found that I was really good at sports. And my yeah. identity came from... Everything I did sports-wise, which is hockey, I was on the Welsh netball squad, I was running, I was riding, I was skiing on a dry ski slope when I went home. So, you know, God and the religious stuff was just, it was there, but it wasn't important in my life. Okay, so not really interested in God, but very interested in sports. Where did that lead you? I was asked to leave the school on a number of occasions. They did try and expel me, but my 
dad oh, is that kept right? stepping in. Yeah, my dad kept stepping in, and money speaks louder than words. <laughs> they, <laughs> oh, okay. they allowed me. They allowed me to stay until my O levels, and then asked me not to come back. So I was actually quite happy about that. So I went to art college very briefly, a year and a half, and all this time, well, from the ages oh, from the age of eleven. Uh, up until when I was in art college, I was skiing on the artificial slope and I was in the Welsh, believe it or not, they do have a Welsh ski team. So I was skiing on the Welsh team. I'd only skied on snow once and I was doing the Peter Stuyvesant Alpine Ski of the Year. I was, yeah, I was loving, obsessed, obsessed with my skiing and riding was a, the horse riding was just like a, a hobby, I suppose, in mm-hmm. the background. So I felt very lonely and really alone and not fitting in at art college and not happy. So when a couple of the boys said that they were going to Switzerland to become ski instructors, mm-hmm. I jumped on a plane and went with them. And I actually passed my skiing instructor's exam, even though I hadn't done any... Well, I had one week on snow when I was 11. Oh, wow. So I ended up teaching in Switzerland for a couple of years. And from there, I ended up working for a, a tour operator who offered me a position as chief instructor in a resort called Les Arcs 2000 in France. And they have what's called the Kilometre Lance, which is the flying kilometre. Mm-hmm. And I used to watch these guys go down thinking they're mad. Why on earth would you be travelling 160 kilometres an hour in a straight line? Wow. We just thought, why would you do that? And then I actually got involved in the speed skiing all because of a prank. Uh, one of the girls who work for me, she suggested that we all go and have a go on the speed track. And as ski instructors, we were allowed to go halfway up. Mm. So because I was chief instructor, I, did, I couldn't say no, and I didn't really want to do it. So we all went. I got my helmet, my skis. I got to... We're only allowed on the halfway point because it is really, really steep. Hmm. Um, you're looking at a 45 degree angle so I got wow. there and there's no, there's no one else there and I'm like I've been stood up this is a prank oh really I knew, oh yeah so I was there on my own with the guy with the walkie talkie and he was looking at me and I said I don't really want to do this he said well you either got to walk down or you have to ski down and I was thinking I, I have to ski down I don't want to do this I was really scared mm. So I did it, and it was just the most amazing feeling. Oh, I wow. felt like I was flying. I felt like I jumped out of a block of flats, but that felt good to me. Got to the bottom. All my friends who were laughing were there cheering and screaming, and, you know, it was just amazing. And when I got my breath back and I was able to actually speak, because the adrenaline and the it's just an amazing feeling, Yeah, I said, right, who's next? And they all looked at me and like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. So my skiing career started from that, as in speed skiing. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a very, I'm very, very competitive and very obsessive. Mm-hmm. And I just put everything into my speed skiing. And mm-hmm. I, I really felt that finally I'd found my identity. Mm-hmm. And from the speed skiing, I was able, I got sponsored by Smirnoff Vodka. Mm-hmm. I was sponsored by Alfa Romeo Cars. Um, I had the money coming in. I had a great job. I was traveling around the world. My first year, I was British Overseas Champion in 1986 and oh, then wow. went to New Zealand and won there. Um, in this time, what was really frustrating is that when you did really well, 
the next morning I'd wake up and I just feel so I wanted to feel different and I didn't. Mm. I just felt this really deep hole had opened up even more mm. because I, I I thought I would feel different with the amount of time and the effort. You know, your yeah. weight training, your meditating, visualization techniques, um, your running, the amount of effort you have to put in for every race is unbelievable. Yeah, and I was just I just felt just down. I thought. But I would be down for a couple of days, and then I'd get back on the roller coaster. So you didn't have, like, a feeling of accomplishment? Yeah, but I did, but fleeting. It hmm. was fleeting, fleeting, and it, you couldn't hang on to it. Okay. And I just really felt there had to be more. So in this time when I was speed skiing, I was trying everything else. I knew there had to be more. So whether it was Buddhism, Transcendental Meditation, mm-hmm. Crystals, Reiki, I went down so many paths to feel that I was complete. I didn't feel complete, even mm. though I was loving what I was doing. I was having lots of media attention. I had the cars. I'm traveling around the world. But it didn't bring fulfillment. No, not at all. Mm. Not at all. And for me, I had no, you know, God for me didn't really exist at that time. Mm-hmm. So and it, it, he felt, or if, if he did, he was living on a far distant planet and he wasn't really bothered about me and he didn't mm. love me so I was you always feel like you're on your own and you, whatever you did it's for you only and no one else um, now where did you get that kind of uh, attitude my from? dad my dad is my dad I love my dad to death he's very military style mm. he loves his manners and I remember he sat the four of us down and said you've got two arms two legs and a brain he said it's totally up to you what you become in life. I will pay for your education, and then after that, you're on your own. Mm. So self-reliance was pretty much taught to you. Huge, yes. And mm-hmm. I think that plus the the winning and doing well in sports environments um, should have given you everything you wanted because the world tells you that money, fame, fortune, whatever, yeah. doing what you want is enough. And it's not it's really not Mm. but I think you you only realize that when it's taken away from you you're listening to the story today Eric Scadabo is chatting with former British international speed skier and Irish endurance horse racer Iona Rossoli who's written about her incredible life journey in her book Racing on Empty As we just heard, Iona discovered that even though she had everything she'd ever dreamed of, it still didn't fill the void. Next, we'll find out how losing everything played a big role in Iona finally finding fulfilment. All that and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is former British international speed skier and Irish endurance horse racer, Iona Rossoli, who's the author of the book, Racing on Empty. Before the break, we heard how even though she had achieved incredible success through her skiing accomplishments, she still felt empty inside. Now we're going to find out what happened next in her life. Well, I was in a, it was actually a small race. It wasn't a big race, but they had 200 plus 
top skiers from all over the world. I think it was a qualifying race for one of the world championship. And um, it was in Les Arts, 2000, where I worked. And I did a first run, which was fine. A hundred and, I think it's 140, 150 kilometers an hour. Anyway, the second run, which you move slightly higher up, and it was really steep. And, you know, you still have the adrenaline and the, you're looking forward to it, but you're also fearful because one negative thought, your muscles tense up and you're finished. Oh, wow. Um, and I started off and suddenly I'm skiing on one ski. My right ski came off. Oh, wow. So I didn't fall. It just fell. So I'm skiing on one ski that no one in, no one would even imagine that would happen to anybody. So what you're supposed to do is probably just fall. And I didn't. I actually put my heel down, which was stupid. And as I put my heel down, then it shattered my right leg into pieces because oh. I was traveling so fast hmm. that it, yeah. And then I fell for a kilometer and I went through the speed trap at 160 kilometers an hour. Wow. But everything goes in slow motion. Mm-hmm. You know, for yeah. an onlooker, it was in the blink of an eye, it's finished. And you'd stopped. But on the way down, I felt like I was in a tumble dryer. And I actually really believed that I was finished. I really believed. But (laughs) the one thing I did think of is my dog, who was going to look after my dog. That was what you were thinking? Yes. But the other thing was, I really felt God's hand in this. I had this amazing sense of peace. Hmm. Even though I thought, I'm finished. Who would look after Toby? And the next minute... It, everything stopped, and I was amazed I was still alive. And I, all I remember is just sitting up and taking one breath and looking down at my leg and realizing that the bones just come, it wasn't a very nice sight. And now I mm. just can't remember anything. I passed out. I remember the surgeons looking at an x ray, and I remember looking at this x ray up on the, and thinking, wow, that's so bad. That's so bad. And I realized, what it, it, I was trying to work out what it was, and I realized it was my leg. And um, then that was it. I think I can't remember. I was eight hours in theater. And I woke up to just an amazing amount of loving people that I never knew I had in my life. Mm. And if he'd asked me the day before what was the worst thing that could ever, ever happen to me, it was this. Mm-hmm. But I had this real sense of peace. And I was angry with myself that I did because I should have felt different because all I could do was sports. And the doctor's had they, they were they're fairly abrupt which i think is probably quite good because the two surgeons came in and just said look we are so sorry um we've put you back together again you know with plates and 28 screws but you will never be able to do sports again mm. and it's going to take a long road for re- recovery and you will always limp and i'm looking at them thinking no I'm not going to have that. I just did, I did not accept it. Mm. But it, that wasn't really a priority. I just, I don't know, I was just seemed to be bathing in some kind of peace I didn't quite understand. So I'd lost everything. I was just, I had three or four weeks in hospital in France. Then they transferred me back to uh, a Welsh hospital. And I was in there for a long time. I can't remember how long. And then it was a long road to recovery. But I went to Cyprus to stay with my father. 
And while I was in Cyprus, I, was, I started horse riding again, which I shouldn't have because I had to go through another couple of operations on my leg. Mm. So I'd go on crutches and jump on the horse and off I go. Um, oh, wow. But my physio was a Christian and she said, would you like to come to a Bible study? And I was like, hmm, not sure about that. But I was still trying to link up what happened with the accident and how I felt. So I went along. And it was amazing. I loved it. And I went on some Christian retreats up in the mountains. And I thought, I thought yeah, this is, this is, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I, you know, this is not what I experienced in the convent school. Mm-hmm. It was so different. And unfortunately, I, I suppose it's human beings, but I walked away from Jesus. As soon as I was fully functioning and able to do another sport, I jumped on a plane, went to England, bought myself a racehorse, mm-hmm. and tried to become a jockey. So you just had that brief spiritual kind of awakening? Yep, and actually in that time, I actually tried to enroll into Bible college, and they said no because I didn't have any higher education. So mm. I just felt, okay, fine, you don't want me. And, you know, I wanted it my way still. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when I started with the horse ride, back into the horse riding, And it was a long, long time, a long road of, again, doing my own thing. Um, But, you know, within all this, I'd married. I'd also got cancer and Mm. recovered from that. So it was a real roller coaster ride. And this emptiness was even greater now. So I was still, now and again, I dived into the Bible, but I didn't, I couldn't feel God. I didn't know how. Um, Then I met Jeff. And he was just an amazing guy. He's my Australian husband of, you know, a long, long, long we've been together a long time now. So, mm-hmm. um, and he's, he was a real blessing. He wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. So we, you know, we, we have, we had everything we wanted, two cars, a house, you know, we were just, everything was going well. Then I got involved in endurance racing. And then I got uh, totally obsessed with the endurance racing. And I can see probably God was looking down thinking, oh, what is she doing? <laughs> you know, Jeff calls me like a hamster on a wheel. I get on a wheel and you can't get off. But, you know, God can actually stick his finger in that wheel and throw you off. Oh, that's an interesting uh, mental image there. <laughs> he does. And he does it out of love and care. And I know that with me, obviously he, with every single person in the world, he treats very differently, but mm-hmm. obviously all on, on an equal level. Um, but he was so patient. So many times he gave me opportunities. And I suppose the opportunity where things really did turn for me was when we moved. Um, I was on the Irish team. I was doing the World Equestrian Games, the European Championships. We had 19 horses. Wow. It was fairly full on. And then we moved everything into Europe. So we moved to France. And the most amazing thing happened is that we are introduced, I was there on my own because Jack was in Bahrain, we are introduced to this Christian couple who just walked and breathed Jesus. I mean, they were amazing. They had horses, they bred horses, we had so much in common. And they prayed over everything, they prayed into every detail, and they led me into a different world. We did the Alpha course together, we did communion every time we sat down to to have meal, mm. and I was learning so much. They were throwing videos at me, um, cassettes, when we used to have cassettes, <laughs> um, and books, and I was like, wow. So I ended up just 
wow, this is so amazing. So if you'd asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said yes. And I was racing and still doing really well. Jesus was a really important part of my life. Yeah, I was doing an hour plus Bible study, praying. I I was loving it. I just really enjoying what I was. I just really felt that the whole was mm-hmm. complete. So you're really growing spiritually. Yeah. But, but then what happened? <laughs> but God stepped in and showed me, you you still won't let go. You still you're still guiding your life with your reins, and you haven't really let go. And I had no idea. Hmm. I had no idea until I was with um, one of my best mares, and we'd gone three days' drive to Portugal to do a qualifying race for the World Equestrian Games in Kentucky in America. Mm-hmm. And I just needed to finish the race, and I just thought, yep, easy, not a problem. You know, she's actually an Australian horse, brilliant horse. Mm-hmm. So I had like three years training of just for this race. I had no, hadn't really failed as such an endurance and completed most of my rides and always qualified. The day before the race, she ended up having like an, like an epileptic fit. Oh, wow. Well, I was just out training and I was like, what? What? So we rushed her back to the stables. We got the vet. Hmm. And I was like, what? And the vet's like, no, you can't race her. She's not good. You know, she's, she wasn't at death's door, but she was not good. Yeah. I lost it. I totally lost it. As in, I was shouting and screaming. Uh, my main attack was on Jesus. I, he, I actually felt that he'd actually walked away and abandoned me totally. Mm. And I felt this absence of, I felt he's just gone. He's just left me. He didn't, he wasn't part of this. He didn't. And I, I remember speaking to my French friends and they were praying for me on the phone. I said, I don't want to listen to that because I don't believe what's happened. Um, my husband was just so, he said, I know you'll be okay. Tomorrow. I said, no, I won't be okay because we haven't qualified. And I was really beyond anger. Anyway, three days, I think, well, two days, two, three days later, got back home with the horse and she was fine. And I was, I felt like someone had, died in the family i was i felt like i'd been torn apart i was taking it really hard yeah i think if you're very competitive Mm -hmm. um and i i think god steps in sometimes to show you where your idols are Mm. Yeah. and sometimes it's got to be quite hard um Mm. i remember the next my friends came around and we sat and they wanted to pray i said you pray i can't pray i cannot it was like i'd shut down Mm. And the next morning, I didn't sleep. The next morning, I, w- I was walking down into the kitchen. And I looked over and I could see my Bible and my do list. And I don't know what happened, but it, it was like Jesus walked into the kitchen. I always cry when I tell this story. Um, so, yeah, he it just, he'd walk, it felt like he was in the kitchen. And I heard his voice saying, I never, ever left you. Mm. You left me. And I just broke, I think broke down. I just got on my knees and started crying. But there were actually tears of joy because I just felt that, you know, there's so much love there that you couldn't actually comprehend what happened in the kitchen that day. I can't. And I just, in that time, I just said, I don't want to live the way I've been living. I don't want to run my own life. I don't don't want to go back or yeah, I just want to give everything to mm. you. And it was in that moment I said, just 
please just take control of my life and mm. help me? And as I did that, I had this most amazing sense of peace and freedom. And I felt like everything I carried on my shoulders was suddenly taken off. And I suddenly realized it didn't matter what people thought about me. It didn't mm -hmm. matter what my identity was. My identity was that I was a child of God and he has a plan for me. And that plan will come when I let go. Mm -hmm. So your self-worth was coming from your accomplishments and winning. Yeah, big time. It was in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of us are like that, that mm -hmm. your identity yeah. is based on your profession or what you do at home or... And I just, it was amazing. I just had an amazing sense of freedom. Mm. It actually turned my life upside down, inside out. Unfortunately, we're quickly running out of time, but is there some way you could kind of sum up some of the wonderful things that have happened since then? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I went from there to doing a, a diploma in biblical studies. Mm. Um, I, I walked away a little bit from the endurance racing uh, became an Anglican lay minister mm -hmm. and just really focused a lot on um, just whatever God had lined up for me, which is working with the Global Sustainability Network. I worked in anti-slavery. Would it be safe to say that that emptiness is gone? Oh, definitely. It totally, totally. My, my thing now is I'm going into book number two, but it's about just about being mindful and resting and sitting at Jesus' feet and mm. spending time with him in prayer and scripture, but also listening. We don't listen. Mm -hmm. And with what's happening in the world now, it's just, you know, God steps in and it's all about love. It's all about mm -hmm. his love for his people, his children. And yeah, it's it's been a, an amazing journey. And now I just you know, every day I have to pray into everything. Mm. And if I run off and hit a brick wall, God just looks at me and says, look, I only did that on your own. Mm. And so I do know I still have those tendencies and I have to pray into every single detail. Mm. And yeah, I wake up in the morning, just, uh, it's amazing. Even with what's happening in the world today, we, you know, God has a plan. And if we walk with him, then you're protected in whatever way that is. Mm -hmm. Protected and loved by him. And yeah, you, you can't live without him. You can't. You can have everything. Mm -hmm. And you can have nothing if you don't have him. Thank you so much, Iona Rosalie, for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with television personality, author and public speaker, Iona Rosalie, who's written about her life as a British international speed skier and Irish endurance horse racer in her book, Racing on Empty. To find out more information, her website is ionarosalie.com. I better spell that for you. It's I-O-N-A-R-O-S-S-E-L-Y.com. That's ionarosalie.com. Well, Iona's life really brings to mind the verse in the Bible that says, What does it benefit a man to gain the whole world but lose their soul? From the outside, it looked like Iona had gained everything, fame, fortune and success. But none of this had filled the void inside her heart and it left her searching for more. But as we heard, the Lord knew exactly what to do to get her attention and it wasn't until she lost everything that was near and dear to her heart that she finally surrendered herself Fully to the Lord. You see, sometimes in order to gain our lives, we need to lose it first and then turn it completely over to God. And in doing this, we become completely alive and fulfilled. 
Well, how about you? Can you relate to the emptiness that Iona was feeling inside? And would you like to pray with someone about this? If yes, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's one 800 772 936. And we'd love to pray for you on that number, 1-800-772-936. Well, thanks for joining us for Iona Rosalie's incredible story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.